0: Well, good morning, Fellowship Greenville. My name is Jim, and I'm one of the pastors here. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away, uh, Jason Malone and I used to be on student ministry staff together with uh, my friend Josh Amos, and we're all three on staff still. And one of the things that we love, and we still talk about this with regularity, is that we love seeing God's faithfulness in the lives of our previous students. And we love that in general. We especially love that because some of them are are dumb enough to just still be here 15 plus years later. We really, really love that. Um, But we also especially love it for one reason is that one of them is on staff with us. And that is my friend and yours, Dallas Greenway, and he's gonna come. Dude, already claps. Already claps. Uh, Today. Uh, My friend and yours, Dallas Greenway, our middle school student pastor, is gonna come and open God's word for us this morning. I'm really excited about that. I'm excited for about 54 reasons. A couple are, I love this man, I thank God for this man. I love that he loves people. I love that he loves God, I love that he loves his family, and I know that he loves the word of God and he's excited to share and I'm excited for him to share. So here's what I need you to do. That was like a 62% class participation. So Auditorium One, I need you as well to give a big, big clap it up. Warm welcome to my friend and yours, Dallas Greenway. Oh
1: boy. Yeah, high praise from the often barefooted pastor over there. I really do love love you, Jim, and appreciate you. And yeah, I'm thankful for you guys too. This is kind of crazy, huh? Uh, If you don't know me again, my name is Dallas. It's actually green away, but I wasn't gonna uh, chide too much on Jim for that. Uh, There's there's an A in there that is often silent for some folks, but I am your middle school pastor. And yes, I know what you're thinking. We have one of those, right? Uh, If we haven't met, it might be because you do not have a middle schooler. It also could be because you've mistaken me for a middle schooler, all right? (laughs) I I do stand uh, just a a nice five, foot two and a half, Uh, good news, I did pass my father, sorry dad, I know you're in here somewhere today, I did pass my father and I'm praying that my children, my sons will will pass me one day, so we're working on it. I said that last service, and somebody sent me a Facebook message, because they don't have my number, and they said, you may be five foot two and a half in this world, but in faith and character, you are six foot five, so let's go, (laughs) baby, let's go. I don't know if that has anything to do with my resurrected body one day, if I'm gonna be a six foot five, just chiseled animal, But uh, listen, hey, if you're in here and you wanna trade places for a couple days, I'll try, okay? Um, I I wouldn't be uh, afraid of that. So uh, before we get into it, if you are just joining us for the first time, uh, typically we are making our way through entire books of the Bible if you come during the typical school year. But this summer, uh, most summers, we take a, a step back and we do a more topical series. And so this summer you find us in the middle of a series called Here Is Our God, and we are talking about the attributes of God. And I don't know about you, but this has been an incredible series, I think just giving us a bigger, fuller picture of who our God is, and that, my friends, is a really, really good thing. Um, I'm gonna introduce myself a little bit more before we get into it, but today I, I have the privilege of talking about God's grace. So go ahead and prepare your hearts for that. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a fun one. It's gonna be a good one. Uh, I do wanna make sure that you know about my family because they are really important to me, and I just want you to be uh, comfortable with, with, with me and who I am. This is my family, my beautiful bride, Brittany. We met at North Greenville University, and uh, we graduated, or I graduated, we both graduated in 2013. Uh, she was in December and I was in May, uh, but we met there. She's from the town of Morganton, North Carolina which if you know where Morganton is, you are way better than me because I had no idea where it was until I met uh, Brittany. She is into gardening. She loves it. She's the green thumb in her house and she holds it down. Uh, we're blessed to keep her as a stay-on mom and she's just loving it right now. Uh, two boys, we got Owen, who is our uh, four-year-old. He'll be five in August. And Samuel, who is two, he'll be three in October. And they love they're just boys, right? Like they love fighting, both like the good kind of fun wrestling and the not so fun good fighting, right, uh, as brothers do. Um, they also love Legos and they love, you know, Mickey and PJ Mask and uh, Star Wars and all this fun stuff. And so it's, it's a lot of fun being their dad, let me tell you. But it does keep us busy. And if that's not busy enough, another little thing about us, we've got two dogs one of which is a full-grown golden retriever that is in our house of 1,250 square feet. We've got two cats that are inside-outside cats, and as of about a week ago, we now have five chickens, my friends. Uh, we, we had two for a little bit, and we said, that's not enough, because we eat eggs, and uh, now we've got three more little, uh, little silkies, if you know what those are. So there is always something going on at our house. It, it stays interesting. Things stay moving, but uh, that's, that's kind of how we like it. So, Uh, This morning, we are indeed continuing our series, Here is Our God, and I'm gonna start, I'm gonna keep the train or tradition going of quoting a guy who's been quoted uh, not quite as often as we've quoted scripture, definitely not as often, but he's been the most quoted during this series. He is a a man named A.W. Tozer. And A.W. Tozer, this is a quote that we've also used before. He said that what we believe about God is the most important thing about us. What we believe about God is the most important thing about us. Now, I don't know if over the last several weeks you've had time at all to think through that quote, but the first time that I heard it, it really hit home for me in my life. Um, My family started coming here when I was in the sixth grade. We actually, I tell them this every year, I need to be the poster boy for Jingle Jazz, (laughs) because we came to the first ever Jingle Jazz. We had some family friends who had moved into our neighborhood. Uh, Some of you may know them, it's it's the Johnsons, Tim and Kathy Johnson, and they have three kids. Wow, somebody's shouting out, is that Drew? Maybe it's Drew back there. Uh, Am I allowed to interact with the audience like this? Sometimes I don't don't even know. (laughs) It doesn't matter, I guess. Somebody told me I could do whatever I wanted, and that's really, really dangerous, so I'm not gonna do whatever I want, uh, but I might. Shout out whoever just yelled at me. Uh, so the Johnsons moved into our neighborhood and eventually I guess they decided that we were nice enough and good enough and safe enough to invite to church with them. And so they did it not by an actual Sunday morning service, uh, but by bringing us to the first Jingle Jazz, okay? Jingle Jazz is our Christmas extravaganza. If you've never been, you should make, make a point to be at the next one. Uh, but but it was there, Jim talks about being being a youth pastor. It was there that I met uh, Jason Malone for the first time. And one of the things that struck me about him immediately was what he was wearing, right? probably. Some under armor shirt and a pair of, of pants. But it but it was huge in my mind because the church tradition I had come from, not that there's anything wrong with high church, but I thought, and this is where some of my misconceptions, what we think about God is the most important thing about us, I thought that God was so other than me, so holy than me, that to be a man of God or a boy of God at the time meant that I needed to wear like all the right things, make sure I had basically some really nice bathrobes is how I would have described him, right? Like, and you had to look a certain way and, and immediately upon meeting Jason, it wasn't even anything that he said, I couldn't tell you what he said, but I do remember that he was this, this image of just a normal, Jesus-loving dude, very average, to which he might say, at least I'm, give me a little bit above average, right? <laughs> but, but even things like that started to blow my mind and I think the mind of my family as we started to come here more and more. So I've already hinted at it, but I had some misconceptions about who God was when we started coming here. Some things that I was struggling with, some things I was thinking through and processing. And it's probably a whole lot more than these three, but I think I can, I can narrow down to maybe three of the biggest that are kind of intertwined in some way. And maybe you can relate to these, or maybe you have your own misconceptions about who God is. But the first one is, is that holiness, that God is so other than and so holy uh, that, that he, surely doesn't want anything to do with me, the unholy, the undeserving. I didn't realize, but what I started to understand as we came to church here is that, yes, that, that's actually true. He is other than me. He is holy. But Jesus has made a way for the unholy and the undeserving to be with this holy God. That's really good news. The second thing that I would say is a misconception about how I viewed God was that I thought if there was a chance that God was for me, that all he wanted to do was control me. I thought that God was just really, really controlling. That if he did ever get a hold of me, and I pictured it like he's just gonna grab me and hold me tight and turn me into some like robot that's only doing God's bidding all the time. I had this really strong concept of my good better outweigh my bad, and I was convinced that if God got a hold of me, he was gonna control me and force that out of me. Here's what I started to understand over the next few years, though, is that, yeah, God is sovereignly in control, but he's inviting me to join him in what he's doing. Not forcing me, not forcing you, but he's inviting us to be in relationship with him, and as he goes about doing what he's doing, advancing the kingdom on this earth, He's inviting us to be a part of that. That's awesome. That doesn't sound so controlling to me. The third thing, and again, you probably can see how some of these are overlapping, was just that I thought that God was extremely angry with me. I was convinced that I was a sinner. I was convinced that my bad did, in fact, outweigh my good and that there was nothing that I could do about it. I was convinced that forever, because of that, that my state would be between me and God would be that he would be angry at me, that his wrath would be upon me. What I didn't understand is really kind of what we're talking about this morning, that he's a gracious God and that Jesus took all of that wrath and anger that God has towards my sin, it's, it's righteous, all of that that he has towards my sin and put it upon his son Jesus at the cross. Jesus took it upon himself on our behalf so that we could be in a loving relationship with God. And that's grace, it's a gift. That's what we're talking about this morning. Before we talk too much more about grace though, I do wanna make sure that we have some uh, common uh, definition for what grace is because maybe you've heard about grace before and and, uh, maybe you think about it as beauty or as man, they're really really graceful and those are ways to think about grace. But here's the kind of grace that we're talking about this morning. I got a couple definitions. One is my working definition. Uh, The first one is that uh, grace is God's kindness on the undeserving. Grace is God's kindness on the undeserving. The second definition that I have stolen this morning is grace, is God giving the greatest treasure to the least deserving, which, if you're wondering, who's the least deserving is every single one of us. And then this last one is my working definition, that grace is an unmerited gift from God in any form. Grace is an unmerited gift from God in any form. We've said this every week, but each of these attributes, it's not like one goes before the other, or, or one is, is better or greater than the other, but all of these things that we're talking about when it relates to God, these are who he is at his core all the time. He doesn't stop being these things. And the same is true with grace. So when we define grace in some of these ways, and maybe you have your own definition of grace that we could include here, what it means is that at the core of who our God is, is that he is is generous with gifts towards the undeserving. He generously pours out this grace towards the undeserving. And by the way, again, that's you and me, that's all of us. And it's this grace that as I started to see it, through God's word, through the teaching of his word, through his people, that changed my life. This grace changed my life, and it's changed many of your lives as well. Grace really does change everything. In a room this size, I know that most likely there's folks in here who need to know that for the first time. Maybe you were like me when we first started coming here. I I, I literally can say that I never heard about God's grace, at least in a way that made sense, before we started coming to this church. And so maybe there's somebody in here who, for the first time, or the first time in a long time, you need to know that God is gracious. There's another group in here who, man, you've been swimming in this thing for a long time. And maybe even just the thought of, oh, we're talking about God's grace, it gets you a little giddy. There's some joy associated with God's grace because you can look back on your life and see all the places that God has been gracious to you. Isn't that fun? And then there's another group that I think this quote from Tim Keller helps kind of pull out and draw out. It's a group that I know I've been a part of at seasons in my life. The quote from Tim Keller goes like this, God relentlessly offers grace to people who do not deserve it or seek it or even appreciate it after they have been saved by it. I think maybe one of the biggest things that's happening in our church as we talk about the different attributes of God is that so many of us are being reawakened to the reality, like our awe and our wonder is coming back at God being the creator, at God being sovereign, at God being holy, and maybe today that might happen when we talk about God being gracious to us, towards us. That's my prayer this morning. It's pretty simple. I want God to stir something up, no matter where you fall on that spectrum, I'm asking that the Spirit would stir something up within us, that there would be a response for us when we come face to face with God's grace. In fact, that's kind of the big question I'm asking this morning. Maybe you can consider for yourself. What is our response when we come face to face with God's grace? What's our response to this incredible God? So this morning, we are going to read Psalm 103. I'm gonna read the entire thing. Buckle up, take a deep breath. It's 22 verses, we can do it, okay? So you can go ahead and turn in your, in your Bibles to uh, Psalm 103. It's also gonna appear on the screen. After that, I'm just letting you know, here's the roadmap for where we're going. I'm gonna pull out three points or three uh, themes. A three-point sermon, isn't that like a Baptist thing or something? So I guess maybe I'm going back to our church's roots somewhere in there. But three themes uh, from the Psalm on God's grace, and then I'm going to wrap it up with talking about Jesus and sharing some thoughts on what our response Uh, might be to God's grace. So here we go, Psalm 103, written by David, King David to you, Uh, verse one. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower in the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul." Man, isn't that a good psalm? It's a great reminder. I'd encourage you to read it every day. <laughs> I mean, it has been fun to soak in this. And this psalm I mentioned earlier, was written by King David, and really, his purpose seems to be that it's a psalm of remembrance that David is at a place in his life where he's looking back on his entire life and he starts out, how? These first couple verses, bless the Lord, oh my soul, all that's within me. Hey, everything that's inside of me, let's bless the Lord. Like he's he's getting himself up for this blessing. Why are we able to bless the Lord like this David? Verse two, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and, and thank him for all of his benefits, right? He has been so good to me. He's been so kind to me. How could I not thank him for doing that? for his benefits. Here's what David's doing is he's looking back over his life and he's seeing where God has been gracious. He's seeing where God has constantly, relentlessly given him things that he does not deserve. And not just David, but the people of God as well. Something else maybe to point out about this psalm is, is kind of interesting. Maybe as we were reading through all these verses, you're, you're thinking, and I'm tracking right along with you, oh yes, that's awesome because we have, we have that because of Jesus, and, and we have access to this because of Christ. David, though, didn't get that part. Remember, he's before Jesus, he's before the cross, he's before the resurrection. So it's like he's seeing all these things in black and white, but us, this side of the cross, we get to see it in like IMAX, 3D, like full color, massive screen, you paid $35 to see this movie kind of color, right? Because we are on this side of the cross and we we may not be able to still fully understand all the ways that God is gracious and all all the things that that means, but But man, we can see in a lot fuller picture than even what David can. So the three things that we're gonna pull out, the three themes we're gonna pull out from this regarding God's grace, here's number one. It's simply this, that God's grace reveals that we are more needy than we know. God's grace reveals that we are more needy than we know. A few times in this Psalm, David mentions words like iniquity and transgression and some other things you could put there might be wickedness or places where we've fallen short, or maybe if you've been in the church for any length of time, you could use the word sin. David is remembering, in part, his sin. You know, David, he had a lot to look back on, right? His whole life, he did that whole thing with Goliath, and I'm telling you what, I know some strong middle schoolers, some big middle schoolers even, but I don't think any of them could have taken out a giant like Goliath. That only happens with God doing something within that, right? It's like spirit-empowered slingshot going on right there, right? David had, had that, he had the, the Philistine armies that he defeated, he had many more victories, he was king of Israel, the Bible often describes him as a man after God's own heart, and yet this same guy also was a sinner, just like you and I. Maybe one of the most famous, maybe even one that David could have been thinking as he wrote this was the whole deal with Bathsheba where David and Bathsheba, he, he takes another man's wife, he's trying to cover up this whole thing, ends up killing her husband and they end up together and he kinda thinks everything's cool, right? But that's, a, that's not cool, David, none of that was cool in fact. That's sin, that's iniquity, that's transgression. I, I wonder, David's reminded of this, I wonder if you and I remember what it was like to be stuck in our sin. If you remember what it was like to be hopeless and helpless, to to wear the dirty rags of our sin. In verse four, David describes uh, that we are redeemed from a pit. Here's the tricky thing about sin is sometimes it does feel like being stuck in a pit, but oftentimes we're blind to what's actually happening, right? We're blind to our own sin. We're blind to the reality that we're stuck. We just think this is life, this is normal, this is how it is, this is how it goes. We don't see, we're not able to look up because we don't know to look up, but we're stuck in a pit. Here's where grace comes in though. For David, it looked a little something like this in that story with him and Bathsheba. God sends a prophet named Nathan. Maybe you remember this story. Nathan tells a story about a man, a rich man, a poor man, and some sheep involved where the rich man has taken the poor man's sheep. And David's listening to the story and he's getting angry. Man, we gotta do something about this. And Nathan says, hey, you are the rich man. God, in his grace, uses another human being, in this instance, the prophet Nathan, to open David's eyes to the reality and fullness of his sin, and David is broken because of it. God's sin comes in in a similar way in our lives. If you've ever had your eyes open to your sin, to the pit that you're stuck in, if you've ever had your eyes open to the death and the brokenness that is a part of your sinful state, if you've ever had your eyes open that you are helpless and hopeless and there's nothing you can do to get out of the pit, it hurts, it, it, it's tough, it's rough, it's hard, but that's God's grace opening your eyes to your sinful state. But God's grace doesn't stop there, right? He doesn't just leave us in the pit. No, that brings us to our next point, which is that God's grace meets all of our deepest needs and one of those is the need to have our sin dealt with, have our sin forgiven, be brought from death to life, be taken out of the pit and brought into newness of life with our Lord. And that's what he does. David says in verse three that God is the one who forgives all your iniquity. That all of your sin, past, present, and future, has been forgiven. How? Well, for us, this side of the cross, we know it's the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus. That he took took the punishment that was rightly ours, took all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of our iniquities, all of our transgressions upon himself and offers us life and freedom and forgiveness of all those sins, past, present, and future. How do I get access to that? You just receive it. You just receive it. We defined grace a little bit earlier, but maybe we didn't talk enough about the word gift. A gift is not a loan. It's not something that you figure out a way over the next X amount of years to pay back. A gift is not something that's borrowed, that hey, in six months or six years or 60 years, I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna take it because it's actually mine. No, a gift is something that's given with no expectation of return. A gift is yours forever to receive to keep, and that's what God's forgiveness is for us. That's what his grace is for us. It's now ours because he's given it to us. Isn't that good news? There's an image that over the last few Weeks has kept coming to my mind and has kind of uh, stuck uh, in my mind when it comes to this forgiveness and and our sin and Jesus on the cross. It's a painting by a guy named Rembrandt. Maybe you've heard of him before. And uh, he painted himself in, you can see him right there at Jesus' feet. He painted himself into the crucifixion. Why? As a reminder that it is his sin, it's our sin that put Jesus on the cross. But it's also It's also our sin that is completely covered and then some by his grace, by his forgiveness. And we have access to that because of what Jesus did on the cross, his life, his death, his resurrection, grace given out, poured out for you and for me. So I know there's some of us in this room who we've been carrying a burden for a long time. Maybe you haven't even realized it. Maybe you didn't realize that you were stuck in this pit. Maybe you're just starting to realize it now. By God's grace, maybe he's opening, opening your eyes to your own state. Man, that's grace that he's doing that. But the grace continues and it gets even better because God offers you this, this gift of forgiveness that that weight you don't need to carry anymore because he will carry it for you. He will take it off of you that you in your dead state, he raises you to new life in him and an abundant life at that. That's what's offered to us in grace. But God's grace doesn't stop there. You know, and if it did, it would be enough. Like, man, forgiveness of our sins, that's enough to get excited about. That's enough to bless the Lord, oh my soul, with all that's within me, bless his holy name. But God's grace doesn't stop there. Maybe sometimes we think, oh God's grace, oh that's the forgiveness thing, right? Yeah, that's a really big part of it. But remember, God is consistently, relentlessly offering gifts to those who do not deserve them. And the rest of this Psalm, David, you could mark out maybe like 27, around 30 different things that David is saying, this is how God has been gracious, and I wanna bless his name because of it. Uh, So some of those things that we're gonna talk about this morning, one of them is found in verse four, that God is the one who crowns you with steadfast love. Remember, God's the one, or God's grace meets all of our deepest needs. You wanna talk about one of our deepest needs? It's, it's to be loved, right? And many of us try all kinds of different things to find love and acceptance in the world we live in. We post things just so we get likes and follows. We do things that we're uncomfortable with, maybe things that are even sinful, so that we'll get into the right groups or have the right people like us and, and appreciate us. We go to crazy lengths, crazy extents to to find love and acceptance in this life. But it's right there for you, a gift from our Lord, his love, his steadfast love that doesn't end, that doesn't change, that's what God's love is. And it's a gift, it's grace. You don't do anything to deserve it, you don't do anything to earn it, you don't help help yourself out of the pit so you can get to it. No, God just gifts it to you, his love, his acceptance. Verse five mentions uh, that God is the one who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This is where I put up a picture of an eagle. I saw a brother wearing an eagle shirt today, probably for Memorial, or for Labor Day, excuse me, wait, what's today? July 4th, <laughs> July 4th, probably right for July 4th. But that he, re- he renews us, he's the one who satisfies us. We spend our whole lives trying to be satisfied by all kinds of different things. Some of you have chased these things. Maybe if I have enough money, I'll be satisfied. You've chased it, and you've seen that that it comes up empty. If I'm in this position at my job, I'll be satisfied. You've chased it, you've seen that it comes up empty. If I have the right family, or if I live in the right neighborhood, or if I drive the right car, or if I I do enough self-care, whatever your thing is, you've gone to these things for satisfaction, and maybe you keep going to these things hoping, oh, maybe I'll break through that wall and I'll be fully satisfied, it all comes up empty. The only one who can satisfy us is God. This God of grace, this holy God, this sovereign God, this creator God, he's the only one who can satisfy us. He meets our deepest needs and how does he do it? It's just a gift, it's grace. Will you receive this grace this morning, Fellowship Greenville? Will you receive that kind of grace? Some of us may think that this is something that only comes at the end of our life when we're experiencing eternity with God, but he talks here about renewing us like the eagles, right? Renewing our strength or re- renewing our youth. I don't know if you've ever seen an eagle fly. Here's a picture of one flying right now. Imagine that its wings were just flapping. But, but wings are, or eagles are majestic. They're, when they fly, it looks so effortless and strong. And here's the truth, that God wants, to, God wants to do this in you right now. He wants to renew you. He wants to strengthen you right now. I've actually talked with a few people over the last few weeks who are going through some hard times. They're they're processing some things from their past or as they are going through life right now, they're just experiencing some struggles. And I can't tell you, every single time we meet, I say, hey, so have you spent time with God? Have you let him refresh you? Have you let him renew you? He actually wants to do that right now, not just one day when we're dead and gone and get our six foot five washboard abs body, right? No, he wants to do it right now. And so whether it's 15 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes before our God, letting him remind you of the things that are in Psalm 103 and so much more. What comes out of that time with everyone I meet with, if they actually take me up on it, is, man, I just feel like I have this new sense of life and I can take on the things that are before me. Not because they did or said all the right stuff, but because God is gracious with us and renews us right now. That's our God. The reality is we could keep on talking about God's grace for forever, actually. Many of us have stories of how we've seen God be gracious in our own lives, but even then, even if we kept going for all of eternity, our words would still fall short of how great is the grace of God, how amazing is his grace. That's why point number three, or theme number three, is God's grace is greater than we have categories for. And that's really, really good news. Verse 11 says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. At this point in the Psalm, David starts using some similes, some comparisons, because normal words just don't do it justice, so let me kinda try to describe it, but even then, it won't do justice to how great is the grace of God. That his love, it's, it's as high as the heavens, you can never touch it, you can never know its fullness, you can never know the extent of it, that's the love that's been offered to us. As far as the east is from the west, verse 12, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. You wanna talk about forgiveness? This is how far God's taken it from you, that you can go to the east and you're never gonna touch the west and you can go to the west and you're never gonna all of a sudden be going east. That's how far God has removed our transgressions from us. They will never catch up to us. We will never catch up to them. That's forgiveness. Verse 13, as a father shows compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion on those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. God is the best father. He's a father that some of us can only hope, dream, or imagine for, and then some words can't possibly wrap our minds around how good and compassionate is our Father God. But he is, and how does he become your father? Through grace. That's our God. That's his grace. Wrapping it up with Jesus. Jesus is the one who holds this thing together. Jesus, in fact, is grace in the flesh. He's grace in the flesh. That everywhere Jesus went, he was embodying the grace of God. He was kind and loving. He healed, served, encouraged, confronted, taught, prayed, and so much more with grace just gushing out Ultimately, Jesus went to the cross, which is the greatest act of grace in history. The cross is where he took on all of our iniquities and forgave them, where he wore a crown of thorns so that we might be crowned with his steadfast love and mercy. The cross is where he was broken so that we might be renewed. It's where, because of his death, the gift of new life has been offered to anyone who would receive it fellowship greenville here is your god a god of grace that we can only hope to touch with our words because his grace is so amazing this grace i think has to be met with a response when we come face to face with this with this grace we can't help but meet it with a response And I think that at least part of that has to be that we're following in the footsteps of Jesus, and if what he was doing was everywhere he went, he was just, hey, grace, grace, grace. I mean, his entire life was serving, was giving himself the ultimate gift of grace, his life, his death, his resurrection. And so part of our response at least should be that we start to to live a life that gives grace as well. In fact, it's often something that we say around here that we are a community of grace. And yes, part of that means forgiveness, but some of that also means that all of the ways that God has been gracious to us, we look for ways to do that for other people. This is actually an incredible part of my story. One of the biggest examples of God's grace in my life happened a few years after we started coming here. Through different set of circumstances, me and my family found ourselves in a place where around the dinner table, we talked about the word foreclosure on our home. We were months behind in our our mortgage payment, and we didn't know where money was gonna come from. Dad was out of a job and things like that. And somehow, I still don't exactly know how, I think I have some ideas, but folks at the church caught wind that this was the reality for us. And I I don't know if you've ever been there, I'm not asking you to feel sorry for us, but it's a scary thing to think about losing your house. And I can only imagine now as a dad of two boys what it must have been like for my parents to tell their children that who knows how long we have. But God's gracious, and we didn't do anything to earn it. It wasn't because we were members here. It wasn't because we knew all the right people, or we said all the right things, but through the Benevolence Fund and the grace of this community of grace, God's grace through this community, The Benevolence Fund paid for the mortgage payments that we had missed, and to this day, my parents are still in that house. It's a house that we go and visit Gigi and Pop's at, right? It's a house that, that my boys have spent the night at a few times, and it's the house that they know where Dad's room is. That doesn't happen outside of the grace of God, through his people. And I could tell story after story of how he's done that through many of you even in this room whether it's just your kindness, a smile, an encouragement, if it's a meal bought, if it's you've babysat our kids, and so many other things. God's grace through his people is many times what he uses to reach people. So what should our response be to this grace when we come face to face with it? Man, I wanna jump on board the grace train. And be, be giving out grace as Jesus gave it out. So for us, what does it look like? Where in your life do you need to offer forgiveness to someone who has hurt you? Where who who, who is it that you may need to forgive as you have been forgiven? All of your iniquities gone past, present, and future. Who is it in your life that needs the grace of forgiveness? Who is it that needs some love? You know, we live in one of the most connected times in the world, and yet we are also in the most lonely time in the world. We know a lot of people, we have a lot of friends on social media, but very few of us have true depth of relationship. Who around you needs some of the love that's been given to you by our God? Freely given to you so that you might freely give it to somebody else. What does it look like for maybe you to be somebody who comes in and, and, and helps somebody? Maybe it's through finances, maybe it's through the gifts you have. What does it look like for you to be patient with somebody? You know, when my patience is tested the most is on the road here in Greenville, South Carolina, amen? <laughs> but what does it look like for maybe me to let a car go in front of me? And that's just a little bit of grace. The reality is that The Johnsons and Jason Malone and Jim Thompson and Josh Amos and a long list of people, again, many of you are in this room, have been gracious to me and none of you knew that I'd be standing up here one day teaching a message. We have no idea what the end of the grace that God dispenses through us is going to be. We just know he's called us to be people of grace. That's one way to respond. Another way to respond would be just to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We need to be reminded of this. Maybe it's through just reading Psalm 103. I think that's a great place to start. But we need to remember, just like David models for us, remembering how gracious God has been to him over the course of his life. We all have stories that we could get up here and share. When's the last time that you remembered it and that you thanked God for it? Which brings me to the end of this. Verses 20 through 22, I think this is a great way to close this message, that certainly one of the ways that we ought to respond to God's grace is to return praise and blessing and honor and thanksgiving to that God of grace. So the last few verses of Psalm 103 say, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his work, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. May all of us bless the Lord today for his graciousness on our lives. Let's pray. Lord, you are too kind to us. We are indeed the least of these. We are the undeserving. And yet you have chosen to gift the greatest of treasures to us. I ask today that you would stir in each of us a grateful heart, a heart of praise, and that this wouldn't just affect how we live on Sundays, but each day of the week for the rest of our lives. I ask these things in the sweet name of Jesus. Amen.